This morning from Jeremiah chapter 29, I'll read verse 1 and then skip over to 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of God for the people of God. Jeremiah writes that these words that we've just read are specifically directed to his people who are still in exile. In the first verse, he tells us what has happened in just a few words, that these people, the elders among the exiles, the priests, the prophets, and several others have been taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The armies of the Babylonians have come to Jerusalem and they have been conquered. They have lost the battle. But not only that has happened, but they have rounded up a number of the leaders of the Hebrew people and taken them prisoner and now taken them back to Babylon. We can only imagine how terrible it might be to have an invading army come and destroy your homes and your way of life. But then, as if that's not bad enough, take all your leaders that they want back to a foreign land where they're living now, surrounded by an enemy people in a foreign culture. Surely it must have been devastating to have that experience. Yet Jeremiah believes that God is still active and at work even in the exile. That God is still at work in all of this. But he writes in an even more incisive way, not just saying that God is at work, but that in fact God has sent these people into exile. Did you hear that? It's in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I cannot imagine when Jeremiah wrote this letter to the exiles that they took that notion all too well. That not only was God at work, but God had sent them into exile. It's a different kind of theology than most of us would attest to. Assigning to our God this idea of the enemy coming and conquering, destroying 
what you have understood. It was God's call on your life and God's call to be a people. And yet that's what Jeremiah suggests is going on. That God indeed is at work and he's trying to teach the Hebrew people a lesson about faithfulness. And he's allowed this devastation to occur and then sent the leaders of the people, the priests and the prophets, all into exile. It's a difficult theology to embrace. But let's stay with Jeremiah and grapple with this long enough to see if we can understand what he has to say to us today. As I was reading through this, it reminded me of talking with people who have been in AA or through a 12-step program or some people who have had struggles in their lives and been through lots of counseling. Sometimes a person has to hit bottom before they can receive help. That is their testimony. Sometimes people will not listen and will not change until they hit rock bottom. And then and only then are they open to some new ideas and new ways of living. Sometimes it has to get extreme before somebody is able to hear that there's another way to make choices, another way to think about life, and another way to proceed. In theological terms, you sometimes hear people of faith talking about how it was in their times of suffering that they were drawn closest to God. In their difficult times of pain, where they began to see God most clearly in their lives. Reverend Robin Sims was a speaker in an experience I'm a part of called the Spiritual Academy. He was lecturing one day to us, grappling with this idea of the wrath of God or the punishment of God and how most of us reject it. But he said, stay with me for a while and see if, you can understand what I'm suggesting, which is that this can grow out of the love of God. And his first example was just reminding all of us who were parents to think about if we'd had the experience or known parents who had had the experience of a child going off in the wrong direction and beginning to make mistake after mistake. And you can begin to see the destruction and the distortion of their lives. And after a while, he says, as a parent, you're going to respond. And you're going to rail against what's happening and who's enabling that to happen and the choices that are being made. And you feel your anger and wrath rise up. But it's only because you love the child. He said that's one way to understand it. But then he told us a personal story about a person in his extended family. He said, now this fellow that we love and is a part of our family began to make choices when he was a teenager and all the way into his adult life made one decision after another that hurt himself. He was self-destructive. But he says after a while, the decisions he, were, he was making began to affect all the rest of us and began to destroy our family and our relationships. And finally, he said he could take it no longer. And so one day, he had to confront this young man. And he began to tell him that he was making bad choices, and he was embarrassing himself. And now, it got to the point where he was hurting others and embarrassing the family and ruining the family's reputation. 
And then he began to say, I think you're so lucky that you've gotten away with all those things. I couldn't have gotten away with that even if I had tried them. And he said in that moment, when he heard himself saying to this person that he was lucky, he realized there was a part within him that was jealous of sort of the carefree and cavalier lifestyle that this fellow had been living. And he said at that point, he had to make a decision. He said, you see, because I recognize. He said he recognized that as his own false self, that part that was jealous, the part of himself that is selfish and self-centered. And he said, I realized we had more in common than I had thought. And he said, I could continue to attack him. Or, he said, I realized I could offer that part of myself and that part of him into the hands of a loving God that I know through Jesus Christ. He said he began out of that experience to ask himself some questions. I put three of them in our outline. I think they might be instructive for us. He said, I asked myself, could I give up self-righteousness? Could I give up my need to control? Could I give up being the victim? And then he talked about the love he sees revealed in the Gospels as what he called cruciform love or love that is seen through the crucifixion, the love that comes to us in times of suffering and pain that sometimes feels like punishment. He went on to say God meets us where we are in our false self. He said, God meets us in our weakness. God comes to us in our brokenness. Jeremiah says that the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, has sent these people into exile. And if that's all Jeremiah said, that might be good news, but I think it would be really hard to hear. But he goes on, he does not stop there, he goes on to say, if these who have been sent into exile can give up their sense of being victims, that in fact they can not only live there, but that they can prosper there not only live in exile, but in fact they can prosper in this time of exile. Did you hear it? It was in verses 5 and 6. He writes, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease. Remember, these are people 
who come from Abraham and his wife Sarah, who have received the promise of God that their descendants are going to be beyond what we can fathom or count. So having children is really important, and they also see it as a blessing. But now that they've been sent into exile, they're thinking this can no longer happen. But Jeremiah is saying, oh yes, it can still happen. You can still marry and have children and prosper even when you're in exile. But the more radical part of Jeremiah's revelation here is that this God is saying that this blessing can continue even through an enemy people or a foreign people. That this blessing can continue even in a foreign land. That in fact God is at work in their lives even though they're in exile and even though it's probably very hard to see God is using this enemy people for good. So these people are still hurting. They're still lamenting the loss of their homes and their homeland. The destruction and the loss of the place where they worship by the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It is all gone. And yet Jeremiah hears a new word from God. And Jeremiah is saying this God is not limited to Jerusalem. This God is not limited to to your homeland the blessing of this god is not just for you and your people but god is much bigger than that and god is at work even in this experience jeremiah is saying to the exiles despite your circumstances god is with you there's no reason to stop living because god is with you there's no reason to lament anymore because god is still at work to bless you Continue to have faith, people in exile, for God is there with you. There's a marvelous story written about John Wesley in the last days of his life. Several of his friends and leaders of the Methodist movement were with him. Elizabeth Ritchie was one of the people there. She took notes and kept a journal about what was happening in these last hours and days of Wesley's life people were gathered around him he was confined to bed lying there trying to catch his breath but she writes that at one point he summoned her and asked for a pen and a paper for he still had some thoughts he wanted to write down before he died she hurried over and got some paper and brought it to him brought him a pen but she said he was so weak he couldn't hold the pen in his hand but she said to him, that's all right. Just dictate to me what you want to say and I will write it down. And he said, nothing but that God is with us. And then she said for the next several hours, he would praise God, sometimes quote a hymn. He encouraged all those that were in the room to gather around and pray and they gather around and pray for him she said he would try to talk for a while but he was so sick he would tire quickly and his speech would become garbled and they could not understand him and it would trail off but she said every time they thought maybe this was it he would rally 
She writes this. I want you to hear just a few sentences. She says, with all the remaining strength he had, he cried out, the best of all is God is with us. And then, as if to assert the faithfulness of our promise-keeping God and to comfort the hearts of his weeping friends, lifting up his dying arm in token of victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph not to be expressed again, repeated the heart-reviving words, the best of all, God is with us. That's Jeremiah's theme. God is with us. Whether we're at home or in exile, whether we're having the best experience of our lives or the worst, God is with us. So build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Marry and have children and let your family grow. For you can trust in God because God is with you. But then this final bit of counsel that Wesley gave to those even when he was on his deathbed and Jeremiah gives to the exiles is in verse 7. Jeremiah writes, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it is in its welfare you will find your welfare. Pray for your enemies. Pray for the welfare of those who have persecuted you. Dr. W. Hewlett Glower of Truett Theological Seminary writes about this passage. He says this, Jeremiah's admonition has a familiar ring to Christians. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Glower goes on to say, centuries before Jesus spoke these revolutionary words, Jeremiah was calling for the paradigm shift that Jesus would flesh out and call his followers to embrace. Remember, my friends, love and pray. Love and pray. Love and pray. They are the way to life. Amen.